0: Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. So I know because I was you, and when you're sitting in church and you come to church expecting to see the pastors, and they're not here, and you're like, oh, it's a missionary speaker.
1: We could have gone to breakfast. <laughs> we
0: could have gone to breakfast. <laughs> we could have got the yard mode. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know some of y'all are thinking that. We, we are, let me just tell you we're you we are you and we were you we were sitting in these very chairs about what six years ago now five six years ago um and we uh went with eric and ashley and well not with them but you know their vision was to plant blackman community so we went with joshua and katie and helped plant blackman and then we told joshua we were leaving (laughs) And he was like, "You're, I'm sorry, what? You know, we were a year in to the church plant. And we said, well, we think we're supposed to go, you know, overseas for a while. And he's going, no, no, we just got started. And so we're, um, that's, that's who we are. I guess we just cut and run. <laughs> I'm not sure. But we were here, this is our home church for about five years. And um, I'm going to tell you just a little about how we got here. Neither of us grew up Nazarene. And um, I feel like Nazarenes need our own handshake or something because you know when you meet people and they go, "I'm Nazarene too." Like I feel like you know we need like that little secret handshake. Um, <laughs> I think
1: we need to institute that verse: greet each other with a brotherly kiss.
0: No, no, I don't. No, you don't think we N- especially should, especially okay. not in COVID times. But anyway, um, so we were here. We found our way to um, to real life in the fall of 2012, right after we moved down here from Murfreesboro. I was a brand new mom. And I needed to be near my parents, and so they moved to Murfreesboro, so then we did too. And I was somewhere on a Sunday, and he came and visited Real Life, and he goes, we we need to go back to this church. This is the one we need to be at, and it was the first first time. And he sat in the back, and he said, they have coffee, and they have like little cafe tables, and it's real casual, and and I was like, yeah, right, Uh uh-huh, it's not that casual. And I came, and it was, and it felt great, and I just... We just never left. We never visited anywhere else. That's where we stayed and, until Blackman Community. So I'm going to tell you guys who know Eric and Ashley, I'm going to tell you another story. As soon as we got back from the mission field in <laughs> June, June the 4th, um, Eric sent us a message. And he said, now don't get settled in a church till we get to have dinner. Did any of y'all know what's happening? Eric and Ashley are planting another church. Yeah. <laughs> So they were like, hey, don't get settled somewhere because we really want to talk to you guys. And we're like, we know what this is about. Here we go again. <laughs> right? Beware so, of pastors. Beware of food. pastors. <laughs> so we're, we're probably going to be involved in another church plant in South Franklin, North Thompson Station area um, with Eric and Ashley. So that's kind of our next move. We've just moved into Franklin, and he's got a job in Franklin. We're not sure we're Franklin people yet, but we're going to try. So that's kind of where we are. Um, also a warning if you're even considering any sort of mission service do not talk to teresa hodge because it'll wreck everything (laughs) we tease her all the time we're like you 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 just destroyed our lives no she didn't god did in a good way but we we just barely mentioned to teresa that we were even considering possibly going on the mission field you know like our toes were just in the water and she's like, "Oh my word!" And she, you know, she's messaging people and she's talking to people. And and then here we are, you know, here we are, five years later, and we served four years on the field. So we've been in Papua New Guinea, which is a little island just above Australia. If you don't know it, I talked to somebody just this week who've, who's always thought Papua New Guinea was in Africa. It's not Africa. Um, it's right above Australia, just an hour plane ride to the closest Australian city. Could not be more different from Australia so um, Papua New Guinea is its own place Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll we'll tell you a little bit more about that but that's just who we are we have Amber Joy who's now 10 and she's going into fifth grade she starts tomorrow and I know that a bunch of your kids probably went back and but that's that's just kind of who we are
1: so real life is always gonna be home to us uh, God used this place and this family of believers to, uh, as as we affectionately put it, wreck us. But really, God used you and this place to change our lives and set us on a different course that we could have never expected. And we're incredibly grateful uh, to you and to God for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time in scripture. And. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, as Christians, as as Nazarenes, as those sold out for Jesus, what do we do when tough times hit? How do we act? Now, uh, anybody else have a pretty rough year, year and a half? It's, uh, I think it pretty much just sucked for everybody, right? So, Let's let's. I'm going to start with scripture, and then we're going to dig into that a little bit about what how we should respond to that. So I'm going to be in Acts eight, and to give you a little bit of an idea of where we are in Acts. So uh, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, and then Jesus has ascended into heaven. Okay, we're not long after the ascension, and then so after the ascension, uh, Jesus says, uh, "Apostles, you guys wait just a little while." And then uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And in the church, we call that Pentecost, right? And so right after Pentecost happens, so they're in the upper room, and then the fire comes on their heads, and they're given the Holy Spirit, and the church is set out. The apostles and the disciples are set out to uh, go build God's church and introduce the world to Jesus. Now, it's not too long. We're only... You know, all all of that happens in in the first uh, eight chapters before where we are, and then um, the movements just going crazy, and and we're we're preaching and and creating the church and and just creating disciples all over the place, and it's really exploding. And uh, the Sanhedrin, the 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 Jewish leaders, are getting really nervous and upset. And so there's this. Uh, there's this disciple named uh, Stephen, who is uh, kind of a loose cannon, and he decides that he's going to go give the Sanhedrin a piece of his mind, and he gives them a long speech, um, and and the Sanhedrin decide that they've had enough, so they end up stoning Stephen. Okay, and so I'm picking up right after they stone Stephen. Um, Chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at uh, Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ. There, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So as Christians, as those of us in ministry and working, I, you know, and I, I, I just can't help but feel this was a lot of people's experience. I know this was our experience on the mission field, that we feel like we're a part of something. We're going to church. We're plugged in. We see God moving, and then just something, just barriers start coming up. Right? And we know through the, the last year and a half or so uh, that uh, we've all had tons of that, right? And, and we're just stopped dead in our tracks, and ministry and things just seem impossible. And what do we do? And, and my reaction, I don't know about you, but my reaction is to just kind of hunker down, right? And we just sit in place, and we're just going to wait for this bl- to blow over, and then we're going to do ministry. Then we're gonna then we're gonna do something. But we we read in this story what what did they do? What did the um, what did the apostles do, um, or the disciples in the early church when they were persecuted, when they were scattered, when the Sanhedrin said we'd haven't had enough? of this little movement of these little Christian people, the little Christian followers, we're going to get rid of them. And they were under serious persecution, put in jail. They were scattered. So what did they do? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And because of it, so there was great joy in that city. If I skip to the end there. Did you want to come... You can stay up here it's okay okay. (laughs) i mean i like the limelight by myself but (laughs) you're welcome to stay up here with me yeah go ahead okay can you put that
0: photo up for me we're gonna just kind of switch out keep you on your toes in case you didn't have coffee not the video just the photo yeah there she is um this is my friend dari and she gave me permission to to tell her story to you anytime I wanted to. And Daria and I are the same age. Um, we're twenty. Twenty-five. <laughs> no, we're 47, both of us. And she was my neighbor across the street, and she had taught in our nursing college. Kujip, um, if you don't know, has, um, we have the station there. The hospital is, is the major ministry. Um, it's 100 and, it changes beds on me.
1: It's, it's 145.
0: 145 beds. Um, in our hospital but then we also have a college of nursing that's been there for many many years and so Dari is one of the teachers in the nursing college and she was our neighbor across the the street and I got to know Dari in our second term and I just wanted to tell you a a little bit about her story. Um, She's a single mom which is very typical um, of A lot of women uh, on our station, the the people that worked at the hospital, people who worked at the nursing college, single, not because of their own choices. Um, Lots of men take multiple wives in Papua New Guinea, and they might just have a family here, and then they just leave and go take another wife. And lots of violence comes as a result of that, because this wife's family versus this wife's family, and it just gets really messy. So... Dari was the first wife and had um, a son and when her son was less than a year old the father left and just left Um, and she knows who he is she knows where he is but there's really no contact there and then later she actually adopted um, it's not like a legal adoption it's more like within the family she adopted a a little girl that that she's raising um, now who's 15 and gorgeous. So she's got a son and a daughter. She's a single mom. She teaches in the nursing college. The reason I wanted to share about Dari is because of what we kind of honed in on the message that we want to give to you today. We have lots to say. Um, you can ask Mark here or Gretchen back there that when you are when you spend time on the mission field, there's so much to say, and there's so much you want to express, and you just can't do it all. Um, just like any experience you have, it's like trying to explain to somebody what it's like to be married if they've never been married, you know what I'm saying? Um, but Dari's life is a prime example. Um, she was walking along through life and pretty much things were good. She was raised by a Lutheran pastor and uh, things were, I mean, her life was pretty normal um, until she had her son and her husband left. And that was kind of her first idea of abandonment from someone she had trusted and loved. And um, she and I spent lots of hours together and she opened up to me and told me her story. And she said, I just, I, I was I was stopped because my circumstance was no longer reflecting who I thought God was. That's what we shared at district assembly was how often do our circumstances make us question who we know God to be. That's a that's a tough one. And there are lots of times guys that I was on the mission field and I was questioning my circumstances and I had to stop and think God did I hear you wrong? Like, am I in the wrong place at the wrong time? I'm not supposed to be here because things are bad. <laughs> you know, life is bad, or it's not good, or it's not what I wanted it to be, or it's not what I expected it to be. Our expectations get us in trouble sometimes, too. So Dari goes on, and she just just presses on, you know, and, and starts living her life and doing the best that she can. But what I learned from Dari is something that I needed and that was constant contact with God. So when life is tough, when things aren't going well, when your circumstance is not what you thought it was going to be, number one thing, constant contact with God. That's scripture, that's prayer, even if you don't know what to say. So many times I hear people say, I don't know, I don't know how to pray. Well, you just had, you just said a prayer. You just said a prayer right then. You quiet yourself, you quiet your soul, and you say, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't even know where to start because things are really bad. We are in such a self-care, self-help kind of society. If you're like me, the first thing I do when things aren't going great is I try to figure it out. Oh, we got to figure out a solution. I got to figure out how to fix this. I got to figure out how to f- fix things for my kid or my husband or myself. I just need to do XYZ or I got to read on the internet or I got to go talk to somebody about it or, you know, whatever. But my first Reaction, usually naturally, is not constant contact with God. So that's what what I would say. And that's what I learned from her. Every single time we took a walk, every time she came over, um, she called me her counselor, which I think is laughable, uh, (laughs) because she was mine. But every single time she came over, she'd say, Well, Stephanie, I I had a hard week. And then I picked up my Bible, and God showed me this. Man so simple or I spent some time in prayer and God told me this and it wasn't a look at me and look at what I did you know I sought God first but that's that's not my first reaction guys not usually oh gotta figure it out number two she um she trusted God's character number two thing is you trust God's character okay y'all it's your turn tell me some things you know to be true about God kind, faithful, Faithful. loving, Loving. these are the things that never change, kind, loving, faithful, all-knowing, all-present, all-sovereign, he's over everything, if we believe those things to be true about his character, then there are, that in our lives should provide us with some stability, And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to see that in those moments. But I learned that from this lady right here. She never doubted who God was, even though her circumstances got bad and and actually got worse. So what happened with Dari really quickly is that she um, ended up in the hospital, in our hospital at Kujib with typhoid twice in the time that I knew her. Um, Typhoid is Really bad for those of you who are in the medical profession, you know, and she um, had some lingering effects from the typhoid in that she started dealing with anxiety for the first time in her life. She was never an anxious person. She got typhoid and she was, I think it was because she was confronted with her own death, her own possibility of death. And so she's in the hospital, no husband, her kids are teenagers by now, she's got a job, you know, she's thinking, what if I lose my job, all these things that were happening to her, and every time I talked to her, she'd say, but I know God's good, I know God's good, and I'm like, man, to have that kind of faith, just to have that kind of faith, and so I would say constant contact with God, don't doubt his character, who is he, The things about, you know, him that have nothing to do with your circumstance. And then the third thing Justin's going to talk about just a little bit more that I learned from Dari is you put one foot in front of the other and you do the next thing. Dari didn't go to church because of her anxiety for almost a year. And for her, that was devastating because people in, I mean, the, the faithful in PNG, the Christians that we know of, you go to church. Like, that's where you get fed. That is your, like, anchor for the whole week, and it's packed. It's just, like, it's shoulder to shoulder in there. So, for an anxious person, that was not a good fit, and for months, I found out she was going to church, but she was standing outside, and so her next thing that she wanted to do was to go back inside the church. I know it seems small, and maybe your action that God calls you to is small, but It's powerful, and it's whatever he is leading you to do. It's not what you think you should do, (laughs) but it's through that constant contact and through trusting his character that she decided she was ready to go back inside the church, and so we wrote it down in her book that this week she's going to try to go back inside the church, and she did. And now she's sitting back at the front. And so that, that uh, just, just through, you know, a series of events, those are the things that I learned from her and so many people. I mean, I could put eight other pictures up here and, and tell you guys more. But that's really the message that we want to present to you today is hard times come on, all of us. And um, we just, <laughs> this happened to me so many times. I'm rem- I'm a crier. If you don't know me, I'm a crier. I can cry at a Hallmark commercial. um, But I'd be in our bedroom just crying, Lord, what are you doing? Our circumstances were stuck in this country. Like, quite literally, we were stuck in Papua New Guinea for a long time. I didn't know if I was ever going to get home. We were supposed to come speak here in May. (laughs) That didn't happen because we were all diagnosed with COVID. And I thought, oh, my goodness, are we ever going to get home? And my circumstance became the thing. I learned from her. And so many other people that constant contact with God and trusting his character are always going to lead me to the next right thing. Okay. So I hope that comes across and I'm going to be quiet and let Justin talk.
1: So the question is, what do we do as Christians? What do we do as those in ministry when we are either overtly persecuted or we're just going through really tough times? How do we respond? And Stephanie talked, well, first of all, we seek God first. Secondly, we trust what we know about God. All these things you said, we trust that God is sovereign and all-powerful. And that gives us the, the confidence and the ability not to give up, right? And we have all these pictures in scriptures, and we like even Stephen who stood up to the Sanhedrin and, it took it, and they took his life, right? And we think that we've got to be like that. That we have to be this big hero of the faith, and we have to stand up and say, yes, me, Lord. But I think sometimes if you read Scripture a little closer and you see that sometimes it looks like just not giving up. Staying when you want to run. Taking the next step when you, you just want to sit down and hide. And There have been times over the past year and a half that I wanted to crawl under a rock. So... I went to the mission field to help with technology, and God has a very interesting way of changing what we do, and so I came and I started working on technology. They had a handful of projects. The hospital was one of the biggest ones, uh, but also with the field, so I started working on human resource things and helping our, our field leadership manage missionaries, and then that led to me being put on the field leadership team to help with personnel matters and being the personnel coordinator. Then I started working on getting a new software for the hospital and a new finance software, sorry. And that led to rebuilding the finances of the hospital. And then after a year or so of being deeply ingrained in the running of the business of the hospital, we lost our hospital administrator. And our field director came to me and asked me to fill in. So, for the last year and a half, uh, I ran a 145 bed hospital in a developing country uh, through COVID. Two months after I said yes, we had our first government lockdown in PNG. And I'm just the IT guy. I can't fix computers. What do I know about running a hospital? The answer is nothing. Um, And I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. Immediately, the biggest challenge we ran into is that we lost our doctors. So we rely on expat missionary doctors for our hospital. After we've been there for 53 years, and we had at the time we had one Papua New Guinean doctor, and so we usually run 10 to 12 full-time doctors that live live there, and then we supplement with 25 to 30 short-term volunteers that come every year well all international travel shut down countries are isolated our our volunteer program dried up all of our our volunteers that didn't live there uh, got out in a real hurry and then one after another we just kept losing doctor after doctor i had to put three burned out doctors on airplanes like ptsd level burnout and we got down to where we had, we were trying to run on call for a 145-bit hospital with three doctors. And um, there's a lot of cultural things that go along with this sickness, go along with COVID. There's a lot of stigma. A lot of people believe that it was because you're sinful, right? There were some people walking around saying, oh, we'll just be good sanctified Christians and you won't get it. This is just God punishing the sinful, right? Right. And so, we're in a situation, we uh, just had the first lockdown, it's in the country, we don't know anything yet, we don't have a vaccine, we don't have any treatments, we don't really know what to do with it. We're getting a lot of conflicting information, uh, and the community is scared, our staff is scared, and we are losing doctor after doctor after doctor. And I just wanted to hunker down, let's just close, let's just hide. Let's just wait for this to blow over. The surrounding villages, uh, we, had a, we had a triage tent set up. We worked partnered with one of our church districts in PNG, and we got a big revival tent. And we put it out in front of the hospital, and we used that to triage patients to make sure you know, we weren't sending COVID patients in with the rest of the population in the hospital. Uh, we had threats from the local village to burn that down. Uh, Because we're bringing the sickness here. You guys need to keep it out. Our road was blocked at one point to keep uh, buses and and patients from getting to the hospital. And I remember one Monday morning, we had chapel. We have chapel every Monday morning. We're out on the lawn, and there's just this tension you can feel in the air. Uh, In our community, our station there, we have about 1,200 people that live there. And most of them are staff and staff families. And so everyone wants to know what's going on. Everybody's nervous. And so we have, we have chapel, a short devotion. We've got about 150 people. And I'm sitting there during devotion, and I know that I, as the hospital administrator, have to speak at the end. And I'm terrified. We're down to just a couple of doctors. I know week three is our limit. We're running with three doctors on call, and uh, we lose one more. One gets sick, one gets injured, we're closing. And I'm thinking, this legacy in the church of the Nazarene for over 50 years is about to die on my watch. This ministry that is the crown jewel of the church, I take over a couple months later and it's done. And I just want to curl up in a ball and I want to run away and I want to hide But I, and I just, I just, I prayed and I cried to God and I said, I know I need to give these people hope, but I've got none. How do I do that? And I heard God say, um, He reminded me of some words from one of our older missionaries that had just recently retired. He'd been a missionary doctor there for 23 years. And he used to say, Just treat the next patient. And so I stood up in front of 150, 200 people, and I said, guys, there's a lot to be scared of right now. There's a lot of worries. We don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. I don't have the answers to give you. I don't have the answers that are gonna tell, that's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen and how safe you're going to be. There's nothing I can give you that's going to guarantee the safety of you and your family. But God called us to this place to love these patients and introduce them to Jesus. So just take the next step. Treat the next patient be Jesus to the next person. And I you know I wish I could say that everybody went, yeah, absolutely, that's wonderful advice. Let's we're just going to go and this is going to be great. It was a, it was a hard slog for the next several months. But there were times when I got to the end of myself and Uh, Aaron, our medical director, would come to me and just go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's no hope. And I'd say, I don't know. I'm this engineer that always has to fix things. I always, as long as I can put, you know, piece A into slot B, I can make this thing work. We just need to figure out a better way to work it out. And I truly got to the end of myself. There were no more levers to pull, no more bolts to tighten, And I just heard God say, I'm going to work this out and you're going to be impressed. And he did and I was. And I I wish, I, you know, again, I wish I could tell you that it was this like amazing one moment and then everything was easy and perfect. To this day, they're still struggling even, even after we left. But let me tell you, when just when we needed another doctor when our when when we were back down to 3 doctors and then I get a text from our medical director saying that one of them has a cough and a fever god provided and we stayed open we were one of the only hospitals to stay open it got to the point where every other day a helicopter was landing on our field evacuating someone to us, to our little mission hospital in the mountains, we were one of the only hospitals that were closed. We, I was hearing stories of hospitals where they'd get one case and their staff would just run away. Or they'd strike and they'd, they'd barricade the CEO in the office. We heard stories of hospitals that had no PPE. They were using rice bags for gloves. We, and, and so we were one of the few places that were open and we had to make a hard decision and we had, because of our limitations, we had to say no one from outside the province. And then I was getting phone calls every day from somebody with a friend in another province saying, please let me bring them to the hospital. My mom, my brother, my friend is in this province and they're, and they're sick and there's no hospital there and Kujip is the only place. We grew our, when, when we finally, one year after the first case hit Papua New Guinea, we finally got our first case, and after that, we got a spike like crazy, and we grew our, our isolation ward three times in three weeks. We went from six beds to 14 beds to 30 beds, scrambling we had a building an old part of the ho- old hospital that had been there for 50 years that we were was slated to be demolished it was being used as storage for construction we had to clean it out and reopen the pediatric wing that hadn't been opened in 15 years to house covid patients and our one day another scary thing that happened our our head of security for the station got covid he had some comorbidities, he's a big guy, had some health issues, very important in the community, very big advocate for us, and, and very much our protector in the community, well respected. And he was in our COVID ward, not doing well. And we were going, what happens if he dies? So I go and, and praise God, he... he recovered and became one of our biggest advocates and, and helped uh, give talks and helped uh, reduce misinformation. But I remember one day I went in, I went to visit him and I kind of, I wasn't even supposed to be there. Dr. Aaron would have gotten very mad at me just for going near the COVID ward. Uh, and so, cause we, we only certain doctors were allowed and they did special things but i kind of poked my head just to check on silas our, our security director and he was he was kind of sleeping he was on oxygen and 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 then I, I hear a man yell from around the corner and and he he pops up and he goes he goes oh doctor cuz in kujip if you're a white man you're a doctor so i i got promoted in that moment uh I, but he goes he goes oh doctor thank you What are you thanking him for? He said, you saved my life. I'm telling all my friends about Kujip. I'm coming, you know, um, this amazing place. I'm praising God for you. Because you were open, no one else was open, and you saved my life. And I was like, I I didn't do anything. I didn't save your life. But we were open. It didn't look like this big triumphal thing, but we had a big group of people that we're committed, that we're seeking God first, that we're trusting in his goodness and his sovereignty, and we're not giving up. So, God's going to fix this, and we're going to be impressed.
0: Thank you for listening and um, I hope that – I think the hard part is, is to make – we always feel like when there's missionary speakers, there's this big divide. You know, there's like, oh, I didn't go overseas or I'm not – you know, I didn't do that. But um, I think this is the bridge where your circumstances are not the same as mine. Um, right now, I'm experiencing different circumstances than I did on the field. Like, things are hard in different ways. Everybody has their heart. You know, you never know what somebody's story is when you meet them on the street. But as followers of Christ, I think what what brings us together and what makes us the same is that seeking ourselves first is not really an option. Seeking our own understanding is not an option. That's in Scripture. Seek first his kingdom, Matthew 6, and his righteousness, and then all these things are going to work themselves out. We've heard it over and over and over for our whole lives, those of us who've grown up in the church. What does that really look like day in and day out? What's our first point of reference? And then to trust who you know that he is, even when he's silent, right? Because he's silent a lot, it feels like, or you don't know when things are going to happen. And then to not be afraid to keep going and take the next step whatever he's leading you to do, sometimes the next step is to be still and wait. Sometimes the next step is to get up and do something and go back inside the church, okay? We, uh, we love you guys, and we are so thankful for this place. I'm, I'm getting a little choked up because I remember standing here singing oceans, you know, years ago. Lead me where my trust is without borders, and he did. And he changed us. He wrecked us. And I think that God will wreck anyone who's open to it in a good way. You don't have to go to Papua New Guinea. You can. If you want to go to Papua New Guinea or if you want to go overseas, you let us know. Okay? We can get you hooked up with the right people. We still know people. Teresa's right over here. Okay? (laughs) But, guys, um, just wherever you are, I, I really hope that God shows up for you in new ways and big ways this year. And we thank you for being here. Um, can I pray for you? Jesus, you're so good to us. You're so good to um, help us remember who you are. God, in these moments, um, I just I pray for each and every person in this room. I want to lift them up to you. We all have our circumstances. We have the big things that, We don't know how they're ever going to work out. We have the little day-to-day problems that come up for all of us. And some of us are facing illness. Some of us are still grieving losses years and years later. Some of us worry about our kids or our spouse, ourselves. God, some of us are battling mental illness and addiction. Lord, I pray that each person here today will be reminded of who you are. The things we know to be true about you. That you are good, you are gracious, you are strong, you are loving, you are forgiving, and you are faithful. I speak those words in confidence today, even when I don't feel them. Even when my circumstances tell me that you are silent, God, remind me, remind us all who you really are. And when you're calling us to not give up, when you're calling us to take the next step into whatever it is you're asking us to do, God, help us to be courageous and to do that with boldness after we've sought you and after we have been reminded of who you are, help us to be able to take the next step. God, if you're calling someone here today to um, a deeper relationship with you, maybe you're tugging at someone's heart and and you want them to, to go follow you to the ends of the earth, God, I pray that they'll have the courage to do that to have a conversation, to not be afraid. Lord, you're so good, and we thank you so much. I thank you for real life and what it's meant to be my family. I pray that you'll bless the ministries here. Grow your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee.
1: If you'd like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org. Thanks again for listening.